1: And welcome back to WowFar, the podcast for runners, joggers, sprinters, and plodders. It's hosted by me, Amy Lane. I'm a health editor, fitness expert, runner, and now author of I Can Run that's out on Amazon now. This week, we're going to talk about how we can all become greener runners. Because although running is a pretty eco-sport, if you're not aware, your sweaty pursuit can impact the planet. It's why I've recruited Andy Dixon from Runner's World, who many of you will remember from our very first episode all those seasons ago, and Becca Burns, a runner with a green habit. First up, though, it's the news you can use. You can't move for products claiming to boost immunity or wellness practices that promise to ward off sickness right now. A global pandemic will do that. But sidestep the bazaar and the bonkers and instead stick on your running trainers. Research done at the Human Performance Laboratory in North Carolina tracked over 1,000 adults through the autumn and winter and monitored whether they caught a cold and how many days they were off sick. They found that those who were more physically active, so doing at least 20 minutes of walking, cycling or other types of fitness a week, reported 43% fewer sick days than those who largely sat around. Now, that's a reason to down tools and get outside on lunch. Moving on to this week's shout out of the week. I had a good scroll of Instagram and I couldn't help but feel a little bit emotional uh, when I saw this runner. So this week I am highlighting Ellie, who goes by the name of Ellie Living Healthy on Instagram. She works for the NHS and despite days in scrubs, has still managed to find the time to train around caring for others. Well done, Ellie, for everything you do for others, but also for making sure that you carve out some time for you. Right then, let's get on with today's show. Today we're talking about how at times running is wrecking the planet, but also the positive steps we can all take to reduce our impact. So let's welcome this week's guest who, just to flag, are recording remotely with me. So if you hear a dog, a small child, a kitchen-time buzzer, then consider these added sound effects. Hi, Andy and Becca. Hiya. Hello. Hello, how are you both?
2: Not bad. I think, uh, like everyone, we're just adjusting to, um, or I'm just adjusting to working from home and doing childcare from home and carving out time to exercise and eat and sleep. (laughs) So it's been pretty (laughs) challenging. But uh, yeah, it, uh, you know, it's a process of adjustment, isn't it?
1: Isn't it bizarre how we all now basically don't travel anywhere, but somehow for a lot of us, our days feel even busier.
3: Mine for definitely sure. does. I can definitely agree with that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, would both of you introduce yourself to the wildfire listeners? Andy, I know we met you in season one, but since then our tribe has grown. So if you can just refresh them on what you do and where you're at with your running.
2: Sure. I'm the editor-in-chief of Runners World. So I've been with Runners World for 13 years now. God, an old veteran. So Runners World is like the main kind of running brand in in the UK and also globally. And in terms of my running, it's kind of, I'm in a bit of a hiatus at the moment. I was kind of training to do a marathon, which was London, as a pacemaker, because we do the pacemaking service for, for, for that marathon. But since all the coronavirus stuff has happened, my running has just been curtailed. Obviously, there's no London Marathon now, or there is in October. It's not in April. So I'm just kind of grabbing, you know, maybe half an hour every couple of days just to keep ticking over, really.
1: Nice. And running after your little one.
2: Indeed. Yeah, yeah. We've got a toddler. <laughs> so there's quite a lot of just running around the house and up and down stairs.
3: And Becca, how about you? So I'm an amateur runner. I run for fun any distance from 5k straight through to ultra marathon. Last year, I started dabbling a little bit in triathlon as well. But besides running, so running is kind of, it, it's my hobby. It's something I really like doing and I really like talking about it. I actually work at a university in environmental research support. I've always been really keen on the environment. I've got a PhD in environmental science, which I got a couple of years ago before I moved down to London. And I've just been spending some time trying to sort of combine my love of the great outdoors and the environment in terms of just getting out there, which I think at the moment is just really, really relevant to us, actually, in terms of how we appreciate being outside. I don't think I've ever appreciated my kind of once a day exercise more, really.
1: I'm so with you on that. I find myself now staring out at my garden whereas before I might have given it a quick glance whereas now I'm really noticing it. I mean I've been measuring my balcony to
3: work out how far I can run on there just in case so yeah (laughs) definitely any excuse to get outside reasonably at the moment.
1: And so Andy let's get stuck into this so this year you took a big step at Runner's World and you produced an issue themed around how runners can save the planet it was your green issue. But why now? And why has it taken so long for runners to be interested in being more mindful about their footprint on the planet, do you think?
2: I mean, I think it's it's mainly because of the, the, the urgency of, of the climate emergency. I mean, I think in, in general, runners are, are just, believe it or not, just, just people like anyone else. <laughs> Certainly speaking for myself, you kind of think, oh, I'm a runner. I like being out, outdoors. What I do is has kind of, I think you assume you've got, has little impact on the environment. And we just wanted to, in the midst of a worsening climate emergency, actually put that to the test and and say, well, actually, is that true? And what we found was that actually running, although we wouldn't like to think about it, does have quite an environmental footprint, which varies from shoes, which are probably the, the main impact right through to when you enter a mass participation race, how much plastic bottles are being produced and then just going into landfill. So there's lots of aspects that we found quite surprising in the course of doing the issue. You know, and I think there are like subsections of running, I would say like trail runners in my experience and certainly the ultra community quite minded towards the environment. You know, I've done trail races where you know the attitude is leave no trace people are very very careful not to drop litter in a way that certain urban races you know road races in cities you just don't get that same mentality so it surprised us and and, and the good news is that things are changing you know from manufacturers to race organizers and, and certainly on a personal level there are lots of things that are happening and and can happen for runners to reduce their environmental impact
1: yeah because I remember so years ago I remember doing my first half marathons and so you're talking like 15 years ago or something and nobody thought anything of having a running gel and then just throwing the wrapper on the floor mid-race whereas now I know that's still very very common especially people that are going after pbs but there is definitely an awareness that during those races of actually you know shove your wrapper back back in your leggings or where you got it from or try and give it to somebody in a crowd so it is changing isn't it
2: yeah it is and I think that's that kind of consciousness is is just the start of you know what can be done I mean to go outside of running for for a minute you know what we saw with single-use plastic bags a few years ago people would think nothing of asking for five plastic bags which were given out free at supermarkets and all it took was a little nudge from the authorities, the government, to say, like, here, you know, if you want to get a plastic bag, it's going to cost 5p. And everyone, more or less, can afford 5p. So you'd think, well, that's not a big deal. But it nudged everyone's thinking into, actually, I don't need a new single-use plastic bag. I've got my own, or I'll make sure I've got my own rucksack. And I think that kind of carryover in running in terms of what can people do to not using many plastic bottles? How can they reduce their shoe consumption? And um, I think that's that's the consciousness, which is just the beginning. And I think it hopefully will accelerate from 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 here on in.
1: Becca, Andy's just mentioned those moments which have sparked more of an interest in looking after the planet. Obviously, you've been studying it for years and it's your career. Do you remember the moment when you were like, I really want to work in an area which does good for the environment.
3: I think for me, it kind of crept up a lot more slowly. Like I always liked being outside as a child. Geography was always my favourite subject at school, especially physical geography. I just sort of always knew that that was what I wanted to do my degree in. And then when I got to degree, I started, before I went down the route of glaciology, which is what my main research interest is, I started working voluntarily with a, what they call a business improvement district. And they were looking at the the, general, the waste produced by businesses in one area. And I think the stark thing for me was you, you go into shops and you see T-shirts and products out all over the stores and everything looks very clean. It looks very glossy. And then you go around the back and you see just how much waste this is generated. And for me, that was sort of the shock because it's, I think sometimes it's very much out of sight, out of mind, and being exposed to that made me actually wake up and think, hang on a minute, every single purchase we we make has an impact, every single choice we make has an impact, and that's what really pursued me down this line. Also, with the the growing urgency, as Andy said, of the climate change movement, overcoming assumptions people make about things, thinking I'm too small to ever make a difference, you're never too small to make a difference, and no action is ever too small to make a difference when it's done collectively. So I think those are the sort of things that inspire me to, to go down this route and, and sort of be passionate about the climate and about our environment, because it is very much our environment and there's changes that we can make on our, on our everyday lives to help it
1: as well. It's interesting that you mentioned about um, being confronted with the amount of rubbish. I still remember when I was marathon training and I went uh, on a yoga retreat to Goa. And obviously, in India, you know, they don't have the refuse and rubbish systems that we've got here. And suddenly, I just found myself running amongst all this rubbish and this single use plastic. And I just became hyper aware of what we generate as humans.
3: Yeah. And I think, as well, just going to any race and and seeing kind of plastic bottles all over the road as well is, is a real eye open. That's something that makes me think about how, how conscious are we as runners and and what more can we do and things like that.
1: Andy actually mentioned races earlier on. What are some of the best race initiatives you guys have come across in your running journey so far?
2: Well, I mean, that lots of race organisers are now kind of tuning into this. So there's a, a quite a wide variety. Quite a lot of races now give out water in uh, recyclable and compostable paper cups. There's this amazing development called uhos which is basically edible seaweed pouches that can contain either you know energy drink or water so you basically there's no plastic waste because you just pop it in your gob uh, and swallow swallow it down or or you can you can still drop it it's basically biodegradable but it's edible as well so that's great lots of race organizers are now giving people the opt-out to not receive a t-shirt for a long time Race, you know, the 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 goodies that you would get from doing a race would be your medal and a t-shirt. And now races are working out that maybe people don't want the t-shirt. Quite often, anecdotally, unless the t-shirt's nice, people get a t-shirt and it just gets put straight in the bin or used as a duster. Yeah. So you know, it'd be great to kind of cut that out of the loop if people aren't bothered about it. And it's part of the the green issue that we did. We did kind of uh, polls about you know, runner behavior or racer behavior. And we asked people, would they forego uh, a race medal, you know, to be kinder to the environment? And that was 50, the answer to that was 50-50. Mm. 50% said yes, 50-no. When it came to T-shirts, would you be happy to not get a T-shirt at the end of a race? That was a bit better. That was 65% said they, they'd be happy to not not have a T-shirt, 35% no. But even even those figures will tell you that actually for quite a lot of runners, there's an expectation that I'm doing a race. I've trained hard for it. I want my medal. I want a T-shirt. In the issue, we don't criticise race organisers. We're quite understanding because they have a responsibility to produce a sustainable or environmentally responsible event. But they're also having—it's a product. It's a product that people pay for. So they're also having to cater for what people want. So they're trying to tread quite a fine line, I think. But certainly, as I said before the thinking is now changing and and i think runners and ent- people who pay to enter races are more understanding of the need to not leave such a big impact from the putting on of the race
3: i completely agree with that i think that the pressure it comes from the whole chain so it's not just up to kind of race directors and organizers to make these decisions it's about people perhaps voting with their feet and, and saying i'm going to go run this race because they prioritize sustainability or they they're working hard to to use less plastic bottles or they're giving me the option of saying I don't want a base t-shirt because some some really shocking statistics from rerun is that 60 to 65 percent of all unwanted clothes they receive are finisher t-shirts and it's it's very difficult to give these away it's difficult to repurpose them because they do have a date on and they're obviously they're someone's t-shirt someone isn't as likely to want that in terms of finding a reuse for it so I think just as a runner, you can support races that make these choices and that will encourage more races to do the same.
1: It's so interesting that you say that, actually, because I'm moving house at the moment and I was doing my charity shop bag and I've got quite a few race t-shirts, which, you know, I wore at the end of the race for my picture and, you know, I've just never worn again, especially because I I run in certain kit and I like my certain kit and generally race t-shirts like rub me or that type of thing but then when it came to donating them I was like you know what do I do with it because a charity shop is not going to want to sell a race t-shirt from a couple of years ago
3: absolutely I think a lot of people I see using them as t-shirts at the start lines for Mm. when they can t-shirt that they took off and I think that in itself a lot of these things they can go to other sort of repurpose into charities so that might be a good use there's groups that can make them into blankets but that's actually my project at the moment whilst we're all staying home is making some of my race t-shirts into a blanket because just like you I just I'm not sure what to do with them I've been given them they're kind of thrust at you at the end a lot of the time and sometimes particularly after a long race you're so exhausted you don't you're not quite aware of the choices you're actually making to say no But also just saying no sometimes isn't enough because it's already been produced, it's already been shipped, it's already in the environment. So I think stopping them kind of at the point of production and giving people an option of saying, do you want a race T-shirt, is such a fantastic idea. And I I find as a woman as well, a lot of them, they just don't fit me. Um, So they're they're not going to get the use. I think if you're going to go to the effort of producing a race T-shirt, then produce a good one that someone's going to want to wear
1: Yeah, because sadly as well, a lot of them also have sponsorship on, don't they? So it must be part of a commercial deal. And then, you know, you don't want to walk around with some kind of brand splashed across you. A quick thank you to one of Welfare's season three patrons, Yo Valley. Their new Kefir product has just launched into all major supermarkets. I would know because Ted absolutely loves the stuff so we're always having to stock up. Although it seems to be a fairly new product to the supermarket shelves, Kefir has been around for ages and is an ancient way of fermenting yoghurt so that it is packed full of the good stuff and high in protein, making it perfect for a post-run refuel or to put on top of your pre-run porridge. You'll find it stocked at Tesco's, Sainsbury's, Waitrose, Carde, Morrison's and Co-op. Why not add one to your next online order?
2: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
1: Becca, because of your job, does it affect how you train for adventures or challenges or the ones which you sign up to?
3: Definitely. I think it makes me much more mindful of the adventures and the challenges that I have and that I set myself as well. For example, I'm turning 30 this year. I originally thought I wanted to do all the world majors before I was 30. Mm. And then the more and more I looked into it and the more I considered the carbon aspect of it. And I actually calculated up because you can, you can carbon offset flights as well, which is a whole different area. But when I started calculating up the impact that that kind of challenge would have on the environment, I actually thought, you know what, that isn't something I, th- I think I want to do at all. So I picked my half Ironman instead. And then I consciously chose one in the UK because it means I can travel there by train. Um, that's public transport, and also my family can come watch. And it's it's not too big an impact for not just for them in terms of the environment, but also socio and economic impacts in terms of they can travel quite cheaply. I think it's made me combine. I mean, I, sometimes I do want to travel abroad for for running for adventures. I do like to travel. And I do like to see the world. And I think it's made me more mindful to combine running with holidays, and either. Looking for challenges in the UK, or if we're going abroad, also looking for races we can do out there, places we can run, including smaller races and community races as well, things that give back to the local community and being involved in that. I also think for me, it's not just about the racing and the challenges, it's about the whole loop. So looking at your diet, your kit, um, your day to day as well, because we can talk about carbon footprints and our footprint on the planet in terms of running, but it's also the wider aspect of your life as well. And I do try, I mean, it's easy for me in London. I can very easily choose local races. I can choose to to get the tube there, but I think it's being kind of mindful about everything for me. And I mean, I don't travel with work, so that's a that's a bonus in terms of I can travel for pleasure and perhaps have a little bit less guilt. But I think it's just about being mindful And just keep keeping yourself in check as well
2: you know agree with that Uh, because you know we could talk about how much plastic bottles are given out at races but actually the primary source of environmental impact what we saw from our feature in the magazine was it is is from travel to and from races so it's actually that's where the individual can really make a difference and as becca says you know race tourism over the last probably like decade has exploded and now, the marathon majors, your six star medal it's become this bucket list thing that runners can do. you know, traveling to races like a New York marathon. It's not to say that we we absolutely can't do these things, but we need to be cognizant of the impact and and think you know is it responsible to do this, or is there ways that I can offset like by building it into a holiday, but certainly, I think travelling or jetting across to the other side of the world. Every few months to do a race is is not ideal, and and in fact, you know, tr- trying to keep your racing local, getting there by public transport or even by foot as a as a little warm up if the race is close <laughs> enough, or on your bike. All of these things are the little kind of individual ac- actions that, as Becca says, once you add them all together, they start to make a big difference to things.
3: I think that goes as well for see with transport car sharing. Every single person that can car share to a race is one less person that's driving a car. So you can, in effect, halve numbers of people driving to races by promoting car sharing. I think there sort of comes a time when race organisers should be promoting this. Like for London Marathon, they offer free transport on some of the London Transport Network. I think that's fantastic. And I'd love to see that rolled out for other races as well to encourage people using public transport, even if it's just a case of giving a discount I became very acutely aware this year we had what have now been cancelled but quite a few cycling events and they were in different areas of the country and we were looking at how we get there with our bikes and it's not as actually as easy as you think on public transport particularly when you can't take a bike on the tube as well so just trying to get out of London was was proving quite difficult um, particularly if you've got a bike in an overnight bag for a few days so it's about thinking how perhaps race organisers can work with Public transport networks work with rail providers, encouraging people onto public transport rather than doing what is sometimes the easiest thing and just getting in the car and and contributing in that way.
1: Yeah, because actually what you've just made me think about is when you get like the race Q&As through, it often tells you like how to get there and it's by car, but there's never really any details on like car shares or alternative ways or those type of things. It's, It's just your standard journey information.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of running clubs do very well in terms of encouraging their members to get together and, and to pool um, their cars and things like that. So there's there's ways of doing it, and just finding races as well. Perhaps if you've got a friend who's going, figure out how you're going to get there together.
1: Great, Andy. When we first started our chat, you mentioned about running trainers, mm. and I read in the green issue in Runners World um, some amazing amazing but surprising facts actually a couple of them being that the average running trainer can have up to 20 parts that are non-biodegradable and the materials that make up the midsole of a shoe can survive in a landfill for up to a thousand years
2: yeah yeah it's kind of scary stuff and and, you know as we said earlier i think shoes are probably the biggest impact that that runners make i mean everyone has to wear shoes of course but runners tend to go through running shoes kind of quite often you know in 2018 there was 480 million pairs of running shoes sold so that just gives you an idea of you know the scale of the running shoe market yeah i mean the interesting thing and, and runners world is is guilty of this this piece of advice that you should replace your running shoes after you've run in them for 300 to 500 miles. I know that bit of
1: advice. (laughs) Yeah, and it's
2: become this kind of, this, you know, just, you know, accepted piece of advice. But what we found was there was no actual um, research that would would confirm that or back that up. So actually, you know, if you think of someone running uh, 30 miles per week, they're going to, probably if they follow that rule they're going to be going through 2 or 3 pairs of shoes a year. So that's the kind of scary part of that. I mean the good thing is I think that the easy way to get around it although you know shoe brands would would probably not like this is that you just got to make your shoes last longer. I think until your shoes actually actively start the midsole starts to visibly break down then you shouldn't be just thinking right I've run 300 miles in them. They look, they look otherwise fine, but I'm going to get a new pair because I'm worried about them. I think until the outsole starts to really wear visibly or there's wrinkles in the sole or obviously there's a hole in the upper, I think we we should all be... But it's hard as a consumer because we're bombarded with messages that say, but you know, here's an update on that shoe that you loved from last year. Get the new one. It's a new colorway. It's got a jazzy new stripe down the middle of it. And I think we just need to get past that to say, actually, we need to buy stuff, yes, and run in it, but we need to make it last longer. The really interesting fact from the feature was that if we all held on to shoes for just another three months, which is nothing if you think about it, collectively the drop in the footprint that that would leave would be a 25% reduction. So again, it's that idea of just small individual actions adding up to a big... A big positive impact.
1: And what about the brands themselves? I know there are certain shoe brands breaking new ground in the eco footwear category. Is there any that have really excited you or that you'd go out running in?
2: Yeah I mean uh, Adidas Parley is is basically constructing shoes from it's like marine plastic so bottles that have been found in the oceans they're um, collecting and removing that and making shoes from them You know, the the problem is that that the the shoes themselves aren't then recyclable. I think the Holy Grail for a running shoe is something that is made from, you know, recyclable, recycled materials that can then be further recycled. But that looks a a bit of a way off. Veja is a good brand. They're new to the running market. They just brought out a shoe called the Condor, which is 53% recycled, recycled materials, I think uh, to be honest I mean uh, uh, you know all of the brands are making strides in this area because ultimately they all want to appear to be to have green credentials so most shoe manufacturers now construct their uppers from knitted fabric so that's creating a lot less waste so that's been quite a progressive move but I think until there's uh, a big move on what the midsoles are made of and whether that can be recyclable that's there's still going to be quite an impact from from running shoes i think
3: still work to be done yeah just to add to that i think it's it's also up to the companies there needs to be competitive commitments by sports companies across the board to net zero targets and also to be transparent about that because i think marketing things are saying they're from recycled materials they're from eco-friendly materials if they don't then enter the chain and they're not their ultimate end goal isn't that they can be recycled and they just can contribute to landfill. That's kind of hiding the fact and it's making people buy a brand or make a choice that they think is eco-friendly and actually not giving them the full picture.
1: That makes total sense. And one of the things that you both touched on earlier was being more mindful about transport and cutting out unnecessary journeys. And obviously one of the easiest ways for runners to do that is to start embracing run commuting. But for many runners, it's easier said than done because they either find it really uncomfortable running with a backpack or, you know, they're not too sure about what to do um, when they get to work with showers and all of that kind of business. Have you guys done any run commuting? And if so, do you have any tips for the listeners?
2: Yeah, I've done a fair bit. I mean, I because uh, I live in London, it's actually uh, quite an efficient way to get into work. I bet. <laughs> it's probably quicker than it would be in a car, not quite as fast as, as biking, but quite a good way to get into work. And certainly when I was marathon training, it was just a really good way to get like nine miles in, you know, just nine easy miles. And I would do it, I would prefer to do it in the morning because then you get into work and feel like your exercise had been done. I, but I, you, you mentioned the logistical challenges for sure. It's mm. it's not easy for everyone. Certainly, I think your work, your office would need to have a shower because if you're running into work rather than out, you're going to be arriving into work covered in sweat. Well, certainly I was <laughs> um, going to need to have a shower in some kind of locker system. I suppose you could you could run home from work. It does just require a bit more forward planning. I mean, I don't like to run with a lot in my backpack, you know, maybe my wallet and my keys and my essentials. But what I would do is pre-plan which day I was going to run in and take clothes for that day and or shoes for that day the day before. So I wasn't having to carry them with me. But, you know, I find run commuting is, it's kind of, it's, it's good for the brain. It's also, it's kind of quite nice when you Z- you're zipping past a, a queue of stationary traffic <laughs> and yeah. thinking, "I'm I'm going faster than you." Sometimes when I get bored on my run commutes, I I play um, Chase the Boss, so I'll just I'll just spot a kind of a London boss. And just yeah, and just keep it keep it keep it as my target, and you know obviously it zips off when it gets a bit of free road, but then it has to stop, and then I'm ahead again. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I Don't generally win, but um, it keeps things interesting. So there's lots of ways you can you know per- perk things up, as it were.
3: So I don't run commute anymore. I used to in my previous role because just because of where my office is now um, and where I'm located. So I used to run home a couple of nights a week and that was during my marathon training for London the first year, well, the first time I ever did a marathon. And I'd always go do the running home thing just because I found being a girl and at the time I had very, very long hair. It was it was such a task of getting to work showering and I always had this this panic of, do I wash my hair or do I not? It's a bit minging, but there's no hairdryer and I'm going <laughs> to sit in the office with wet hair. I know that's such a small thing but for me at the time it was just all no, consumed with my ponytail <laughs> so I run commute home which was quite nice it's quite a nice way to to sort of relax at the end of the work day and and get my in. and the one where I was home I could just have my dinner and be home and be present rather than thinking oh, I've got to go back out and train now it was also a great way of getting a midweek long running which freed up a lot of my Sundays and my weekends I would sort of do the similar I'd plan it out and leave my I'd get changed at work but then leave my clothes at work and just bring them home the next day to minimize what I was carrying on my back just because I, I didn't find that very comfortable or relaxing and, and it also slowed me down and I was running home for dinner and I was really keen to eat um, <laughs> <laughs> I also found that the top tips if it's a long commute take your nutrition just like you would on a long run just because you're running home from work it doesn't mean it's still not a long run so treat it with the same respect you would if you were going out for, for your Sunday long run. And also, I used to be quite lucky in terms of we had flexible hours when we start. And I'd always try and go in the day I was running home a bit earlier. So I was at my desk earlier to make sure I had everything done. And I'd say to myself, I'm leaving at a certain time. And the benefit of training for a spring marathon is that it's constantly getting lighter as your runs are ramping up, like the nights are getting kind of lighter as well. So you can do longer runs home from work as well as you get further in your trainings, I found that slotted in really, really well. Um, Again, I'd find, for me, the the running two weeks much more difficult, but Mm. yeah, I was a big fan of running home.
1: I used to do a bit of the running home and then I was really, really over the moon when Strava brought out the safety function so people could track you just because running in the dark can feel a bit daunting for women. I think
3: Absolutely, I have a run angel, which is you can press like a button and it makes a really loud noise. And that's actually revolutionized my kind of evening running for me because it's just that aspect of safety. And I think as well, like I always had a route in mind and if it meant I had to go a little bit further to run on a lit route, I would do that because it's not always sometimes about the shortest way home. It's about the safest. Mm.
1: We're running out of time. So I've got one more question for both of you. This year is obviously a bit of a funny one um, at the moment, especially whilst we're recording, because we don't know when we're going to be able to get back outside for an extended amount of time. But right now, what can all runners be doing to limit their footprint on the planet this year?
2: Oh, Good question. I mean, um, well, I suppose the, the, the irony of coronavirus is that although it's having a massive effect on all our lifestyles from an environmental perspective it's great for the earth because there's no factory you know we saw that you know when there, there was a lockdown in Wuhan that there was no pollution that you know factories have kind of have been mothballed so in a way we're, we're against our will just from being at home and not doing races and not flying to races at the moment. We're kind of doing our bit, but more practically in the long term, I would just say, as I kind of mentioned before, just try to make your running shoes and apparel last as long as you can and treat it with care and just try and cut down on the number of new products that you're buying. That would be my my point.
3: I'm using the time to have a bit of a clear out and go through a lot of my kit, a lot of the nutrition bits that I use. I think perhaps going through and seeing what do you need, what don't you use anymore, and perhaps where you can divert it to charity, to friends, particularly perhaps to friends who now are taking up running, where it's safe to do so. And also, I sort of did a rather geeky thing the other day of just going through all my gels and looking at which ones are recyclable and doing some more research on on how you can recycle them and writing that up as well for people. I think as well, it's a good time to perhaps, because we're having to... We're not supposed to be shopping as regularly, and we're having to really make use of what's in our cupboards. Looking at what's in your cupboards, looking at your diet, and looking at the the footprint that has as well. So you can just use this time to take stock and take stock of your habits, and actually think when things get back to normal, what is it I want to change about my kind of daily and weekly life that perhaps does have an impact on the planet? Go away, do some reading, um, and and use the time to to reset um, your choices.
1: You just mentioned more eco-friendly running gels. Do you have a suggested one that the listeners can look up?
3: So I use Science and Sport, but the caveat mm. to that is that I'm an ambassador for Science and Sport. <laughs> but on a lot of their products, they do have the the little triangle symbol, which shows it's recyclable. <laughs> I have a huge thing about gels. I hate seeing them on the pavements. I also hate mm. seeing the little tabs. So there's a few things you can do with your gel as well. Is make sure you don't take the tab off fully and actually roll them up from the bottom, get everything out you can. And I tend to stuff mine back in my belt and bring them home, give them a quick rinse because if the residue still in there, they're not as easily recyclable if at all and then recycle them yourself. So they're just kind of the habits that I use. It, it sometimes gets a bit sticky, but I'd much rather have it that way. And then I, I know that I've kind of done my bit, but yeah, they're the ones I stick to. And I was, I've been going through and just looking at products. I think buying things in tubs as well, um, rather than kind of perhaps brands that offer you ready-made shakes and, and things like that. Buying it in a tub and making it yourself because that's less plastic as well.
1: Great. Well, thank you both so much for that. I mean, what you've both said is amazing and just... Really, really hammered home the the message that no small effort is a wasted effort. And if we all start doing just something collectively, we can have a big impact.
2: Absolutely. Uh, and I think, you know, all it takes is, is all of us to start thinking a bit differently. And, and you making small changes to our routine and our, our lifestyles. And those things cumulatively can have a, a massively positive effect.
3: Yeah, I, I totally agree. It's it's about the cumulative whole. You're never too small as one person and one action is never too small. And don't let that feeling ever stop you from doing something that's good, because if we're all doing that together, then it's a very big action.
1: Amazing. Where can everybody follow you guys or check in with you?
2: Well, they can follow me on uh, Twitter at rw underscore ed underscore andy. And obviously, we've got lots of lots of running advice on the Runners World uh, website, which is runnersworld.com forward slash UK.
3: Amazing. And Becca? So I'm on Instagram. I'm at thisbunnyruns. Um, or you can catch up on my blog, www.thisbunnyruns.com.
1: Thank you guys so much. Team, thank you so much for listening. If you like this episode, please do rate, review and subscribe. It really helps other runners in need of some help find the show and join our community too. Don't forget to use hashtag WellFar on all your IG posts because I love seeing them. Thanks very much, guys.
0: Hold up.